You're listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Turn with me this evening. We'll be continuing our exposition of Titus. Titus chapter 2, we come to the end of this chapter. This book contains the Apostle Paul's instruction for his colleague, Titus, who he left on the island of Crete. In Paul's absence, Paul had to leave to go do other, uh, engage in other ministry endeavors, and he left Titus as his representative, a fellow minister of the gospel, to continue the work in Crete. And so we have an insight here into this relationship between Paul and Titus, and we get to see how the church should be run and ordered. Well, let us read Titus 2. We'll read verses 11 through 15, this last paragraph, to close out this chapter of Titus. So hear now the word of the Lord from Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, Let no one disregard you. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Verse 15 here ends the second chapter of Titus in our English Bibles. Now, it's very much connected to what comes after it, but also to what comes before it. If you remember, what Paul has so far been instructing Titus is to put these churches in order. The island of Crete had maybe dozens of churches scattered throughout this island as a result of Paul's evangelistic efforts there, as a result even of Pentecost. There, there are, there's record in Acts that Cretans were in Jerusalem at Pentecost, so maybe they came back. Maybe it was later when Paul and Titus did evangelistic work there that churches formed all throughout the island. And so Paul is saying, I'm not able to stay and continue the ministry here, so here are important things that Titus must do to set order in these churches, to put what remained into order. And the first thing Paul instructed Titus to do was to appoint qualified elders. And that was the bulk of chapter one. There were no elders in these congregations. So Titus was to go around and to appoint qualified men to lead the church. There needs to be church government. And then here in chapter two, the way Paul has instructed Titus to put the church in order is to teach, is to teach and to instruct. Titus was this apostolic ambassador. He was appointed by the apostle Paul to do apostle-like tasks. But what we see here in chapter two, and particularly verse 15, we see something that's shared by all heralds of the gospel. This is a proclamation task that Titus was given by Paul. And it applies to all ministers today. Now, in the PCA, we call ministers teaching elders with that task of teaching that they are are, uh, entrusted with. 
Now there's uh, some relation here with verse 15 to ruling elders in the church, but it's mostly speaking of the word-based ministry of those called to the, the work of a minister or a teaching elder. So we see three things about the calling of a minister in this short verse. The minister's message, the minister's work, and the minister's authority. So let's look at the minister's message. <clears throat> Paul writes to declare these things. And in fact, the, the English ordering is different from the Greek, which is typical. But this verse begins in the Greek, these things declare, exhort, and rebuke. So these things are the subject of what is being declared, and it's the content of how to exhort and to rebuke with all authority. So these things, so what the question is, what are these things that Paul is instructing Titus with? What is the message? Well, if we go back to verse one of Titus chapter two, Titus is instructed there to teach. And that is the same word in Greek as the word to declare in verse 15. So we see bookends in this chapter, the same word being used, in a sense, encompassing the entire chapter. You're to teach all of these things, and then at the end, it says to, again, teach these things, to declare these things, to make known these things that have come before. He's speaking of the entirety of chapter 2. This is what is to be declared. This contains both a call to ethical obedience a call to the first 10 verses, we're speaking of how to live. So he's to teach how to live. And then verses 11 through 14, we're speaking of the grounding for that. It is God who's redeemed you, God who's at work in your life. Therefore, live this way. So all of this is to be declared. All of this is to be taught. This call to ethical obedience is grounded in the redeeming, saving work of Christ for us. So let me put it another way. The message the minister has from chapter two is threefold. First, Christ is the savior. Christ has appeared in grace. He will appear in glory. And he has saved a people from their sins. Christ is the savior. And then second, Christ is still working in his people to purify us, verse 14, and to train us, verse 12, in all godliness. So Christ hasn't just saved us and left us alone. Christ has saved us and is still training us, still working in us. He's not left us alone. So this is the second point made in this chapter. And then the third is we are called to pursue obedience. We are called to obedience as God's people. So these three pieces of the message, Christ is the savior, Christ is still working, and we are called to pursue obedience. Ultimately, Titus here is preaching the apostolic message, which we now have enshrined in the scriptures. Titus didn't have the New Testament that we have today. Titus was being given the apostolic message directly from the apostle Paul himself and told to preach it, to exhort, to declare it to God's people. We do not err now left or right from this apostolic word. We do not look up or down. We do not veer off course. We stay fixed on God's word. And this is exactly what Paul is telling Titus to do. Stay fixed on this apostolic word, on the word of Jesus Christ, that he has come for sinners. Look to him by faith. He is still at work in his people. He calls his people to obedience. These things declare to stay fixed on God's word. And so the minister preaches God's word. 
The minister does not veer off course. The minister preaches what God has given us in his inscripturated word. We are armed with the gospel of Jesus Christ for a lost and dying world. And so you must make sure whenever you hear God's word preached, that it is indeed God's word that is being preached. Not the word of man, not somebody's ideas and hobby horses, not somebody's preferences, but we preach God's word. That's what Titus is being called to. That's what every minister of the gospel must do. These things, these things that God has given us in his word, that is to be the message of the minister. So with this message, then what does the minister do? So let's look now at the minister's work. The minister's work, there are three verbs here in this verse. To declare, to exhort, and rebuke. All based upon these things, this message of the gospel and the call to obedience for God's people. They're called to declare, to exhort, and to rebuke. So to declare is the call to preach and teach and to expound and make clear and make known to God's people. To say and pronounce God's word to the world, to everyone, to make it known. It's a declarative authority that the minister has to say that which God has told us, to speak and to teach and to proclaim. So in addition to this declarative function, this minister is called to also exhort. <clears throat> now the word exhort has the more of a sense of positive encouragement here, sense of being built up. It has a, a sense of hospitality and welcome. We see Titus 2.6 uses the same word. We go back earlier, where Paul calls on Titus to likewise urge, which is the same word for exhort, urge, exhort the younger men to be self-controlled. So as Titus is training up the younger men in the congregation, he's to do it in this encouraging way, this positive way, this way that, that has a sense of hospitality and welcome and to, to encourage them in the right direction. So this training is mostly a positive thing. Say, here is the path you are to go on. Now follow it. It's to be, to exhort these things. Now the elder is called to exhort. Titus 1.9, it says, he must talking of the elders that Titus is supposed to appoint, that the elder must be able to give instruction and sound doctrine. Again, that's the same word for exhort. The elder must, every elder must be able to exhort in sound doctrine. Every elder must be able to encourage and build up with God's word. This is for all of us. In fact, all of us together exhort and encourage one another with God's word. But this is a particular function of the elder to build up with God's word. And that's in contrast to the word rebuke. This third function here, the third aspect of the minister's work is to rebuke. And if we go back again to chapter one, verse nine, this elder must, yes, give instruction to exhort positively and sound doctrine, but he also must be able to rebuke those who contradict it. So the rebuking is calling out. It's a confrontational work. It's saying you are off the path. You are teaching that which does not accord with God's word. Where exhorting is positively encouraging and, and building the path ahead. Rebuking is, conf is confronting. Rebuking is saying this is an error. And this is an important part of the elder's work 
to know what is true and what is false, to call back those who are off the path of truth and godliness, to rebuke. When God's word is declared publicly, it does both of these things. It exhorts and it rebukes. Based on where you are, God's word should either be exhorting you and encouraging you, or it should be rebuking you where you contradict it, where you are not in alignment or in agreement with God's word. It is constantly doing this publicly for all of us in various different ways, but in private, ministers and ruling elders need to be careful to specifically address God's people where they are and specifically exhort and rebuke depending on the situation. We must know individuals and where they are. We must say, brother, you're in dangerous waters here. I see you not in accord with God's word, not in accord with the doctrines that are handed down to us by the apostles. The minister must have the courage to do this. In the same way, he encourages those who are weak and frail and builds them up and teaches those who do not know with positive encouragement. So there's a, a public ministry here of the word, but there's also the private aspect of these things being done by the minister and by ruling elders in private. The minister's ministry we see here is word-based. The minister proclaims the word and applies it to people's lives. The minister does not have authority outside of God's word. One of the, my favorite questions that are asked to those coming for membership, Pastor Wright likes to ask the question, so you're taking the vow to submit to the government and discipline of the church. Pastor Wright asks, so does that mean I can tell you to come and shovel my driveway? Do you, and so we're asking these people, do you understand the proper authority of the church? We can't just command you to do whatever we want you to do. We command you to do that which God calls you to do. We can't command you to do these extra biblical things. We call you, according to God's word, to obey God. And so this is the minister's work of these three things of declaring, exhorting, and rebuking with the word. And so we come finally to the minister's authority. The minister's authority, the, this statement is made that's, that's quite astonishing. Titus is called to do these things, to declare, to exhort, and rebuke with all authority. With all authority. I mean, that's a jarring statement, is it not? The minister has all authority to do these things. It's astounding to me that some kid who's younger than half of the people in this room who's standing in front of you have all authority? Isn't this arrogance? Isn't this hubris? Isn't this the minister pretending that he's just better than everybody else? No. This is not authority that comes from charisma or comes from the man in and of himself. The man does these things based on the authority of God's word. It is God's word that has authority over all of us, over all of creation, as we heard this morning. And so as the minister does these things, he does not do it in his own authority. He does it on the authority of God's word. He proclaims repent and believe because that's what God calls us to. He proclaims obedience because that's what God calls us to. It's not a man doing these things. This is a man as an instrument of God to proclaim God's word for the good of all of God's people. So there is a profound authority in the words of a minister. Not because the minister 
is authoritative in himself, but because God's word is authoritative. All authority of a minister comes from God's word. And he says this statement, let no one disregard you. This is connected to that authority piece. You have all authority. Don't let anybody disregard you. Don't let anybody put you down. And I think there's actually two audiences for this statement. First is is Titus, clearly. Saying, look, you proclaim boldly. I don't care what other people say about you. I don't care what other people are doing behind your back. You proclaim God's word boldly, period. Don't let anybody get you off of that. This is your calling. But he's also reminding Titus, don't distract from the message he is preaching. He must live a life that is consistent with with it. Of course, he's not perfect. Of course, he is a, a fallible sinner like everyone else. But he must live a life that is exemplary and above reproach and not distract from the gospel that he proclaims. And so, yes, Titus is one audience for this. But I do believe maybe the primary audience is not even Titus. No doubt this letter would have been read in the churches throughout Crete, throughout the island of Crete. As Titus went around, he's saying, look, I have the apostolic authority. I'm coming to do these things. And he would read this letter to the various churches as he came to them. And so this is really more, I believe, a message from Paul to the churches, a message to the members of the churches who would read this letter. Don't belittle or look down upon your minister. Hear his message because he proclaims God's message. Let no one disregard you. Do not disregard the word of the Lord. Do not disregard the authority of God's word by disregarding his minister. So the minister's message and work and authority. What does a congregation do with this? This is preaching to me, and I am preaching to myself. But I have three things for a congregation to do with this. First, pray. Pray. Pray for your ministers and all of your elders and all of your deacons, all of your officers. But particularly as we're considering this passage, pray for your ministers. It is a weighty matter to come and stand before you and to declare God's word. I know your two pastors at Redeemer take that extremely seriously. If you go into our offices downstairs, you see under, over Pastor Wright's door, I'm sorry, Pastor Wright, I didn't tell you I'm gonna use you so much this evening. I see, you see over Pastor Wright's door leading into his office, it says, blood of souls. A lot of people say, what does that mean? Well, I found an article from 2002 by Maurice Roberts. And it speaks of the weight that the minister carries. He carries, he has the blood of souls on his hands if he fails to proclaim God's word. And I wanna read what Maurice Roberts says. A vital element in all our preaching must be to address the consciences of men and to set before them the ultimate questions. Are they right with God? Are they prepared to die and to face the Almighty in judgment? Are they born again? Are they bringing forth the fruits of a changed life? If preaching is not regularly and deliberately aimed so as to draw men's minds to face these and similar questions, the preacher is in danger of having the blood of souls on his hands. God must require of the preacher if the preacher has failed to set life and death plainly before the people. It's a weighty matter. 
very weighty matter. So pray for our faithfulness. Pray for our diligence. Pray for our seeking the Lord for wisdom. Pray that the Holy Spirit would give us unction and ability to clearly proclaim that which God says. So pray. Pray for your ministers. The second, congregation should honor the office and the task. Do not disregard it. Do not treat it as unimportant. And here particularly, do not allow personal issues to hinder your hearing the word and come between you and the Lord. If there are concerns about us personally, come talk to us. If there's concerns about things we're saying or doing, please tell us. Resolve in your mind to honor the office and the task of preaching and pastoral ministry. This is established by God, but yet we are fallible men. To honor the office and the task, even while there are fallible men who occupy it. And then finally, pray and honor. Finally, submit to God's word. Submit to God's word. It is God's word that bears all authority. This is God himself who's saying these things. And if you disregard God's word, you're disregarding God himself. Hear it. Listen to God's word when it tells you of the love of Christ for you. Let that sink in and soak in. Look into his eyes and trust him. Know when it says God is still with you, that Jesus Christ is working in you. Know that is true. That is the God of heaven and earth who is telling you that. Believe him. Submit to this truth. He's working in you, conforming you to Christ's image, purifying you, training you. And submit to God's word when it calls you to obey. When it calls you to obey, we are all called to obey God's word. It's not the 10 pieces of advice. It's the 10 commandments. This is what we are called to do. We're called to obey God in these in every way in which he commands. There's no law that we can discard. Nothing that is not worth obeying. All of it is God's authoritative word to us. So let me maybe put this in Paul's order here. Obey. Obey. Set your hand to it, to being disciplined and obeying God's word. But you do this knowing Christ is working. Christ is at work in you. Christ will not let you go because he has made you his. When you look to Christ by faith, these promises are yours. This is true. It bears all authority in heaven and on earth because this is God's word to God's people, all who look to him in faith. Let us rejoice in that and celebrate the love of God for us. Let us pray. We thank you, O Lord, for your word. We pray, Father, that you would be pleased to bless us with the clear proclamation of it, that you would be at work to enable us to do this in a way that glorifies you and that even in those moments where it is not the greatest, the clearest, that your spirit would still do the transforming work of enabling us to understand your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for your word and we celebrate it 
we enjoy it and help us for the rest of our lives to cherish it and to grow in our understanding of it every day. We love you, O Lord, and are thankful for all that you do for us in Christ. In his name we pray. information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.